on the job with Francis Leach. It's on the job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Francis Leach with you. How are you? What a week last week was. After years and years of hard graft and campaigning and never giving in, which is a union motto, you should try it. It's a good rule for life. The Labor Party finally passed its Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill, which will fundamentally change the nature of Australia's industrial relations laws. These are the most worker-friendly industrial relations laws we've seen in this country for a very long time. Maybe not the perfect set of laws that workers and unions want, but it's a fabulous start and it will allow workers to finally bargain in a situation where they can have multi-employer bargaining and get better outcomes after the enterprise bargaining system, which was notionally designed to do that has left workers' wages languishing, in fact, going backwards for over a decade. It has been a really hard graft for so many people, including Sally McManus, the National Secretary of the ACTU. And I spoke with Sally before the laws were passed in anticipation of that actually happening to talk to her about the implications of what it will mean for workers once these laws go through. Here's Sally McManus. This is On The Job with Francis Leach. Sally, welcome back to the pod. Great to be here, Francis. A big week, uh, no doubt, with the passage of the Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill, supposed to be going through the Senate this week. What's your overall feeling about where the bill sits? Well, it's only a little while ago that David Pocock announced his support for it, and uh, I listened to him on the radio this morning, and he's been hammered by big business in our country, and um, he's standing firm, and you know, from what I've seen from him that, you know, not going to be the captain of a rugby union team and, you know, not know how to deal with pressure. So I've got faith that he'll stick to his commitments. But still there's Jackie Lambie and Tammy Tyrrell and there's Pauline Hanson and Malcolm Roberts and there's a bloke called Ralph Babbitt from, you know, Clive Palmer's party in Victoria. They've all got a vote too. So we're not giving up on any of them. The Greens have also said that they'll support the bill. So obviously with Labor, Greens and David Pocock, that's the numbers, but it's a question for every single senator. Are they going to support workers getting a pay rise or not? We've already seen the uh, forces against it mobilise really quickly. The typical scare campaign is already up and running that this is going to cause the collapse of the economy. We've heard it all before. What do you say to those who don't pay as much attention to this stuff as you and I might and try to counter that argument to reassure people that this is actually in their best interest? Well, you've got to remember that that's vested interest speaking. All of those people speaking out against the bill are the same people who've been keeping wages low for 10 whole years. So big business in our country are doing very well. Their profits are up and CEO bonuses are way up. They can afford pay rises. They just want things to continue as they have been for the last 10 years where they haven't had to give people real pay rises what this bill does is give workers a leg up, gives them a more of a level playing field to negotiate those pay rises. So it's not surprising that those vested interests are throwing absolutely everything they can at stopping these laws because, you know, there's money in it for them and some of them, unfortunately, those CEOs, them personally. 
So that's what I'd say. But also I have to say I expected them to behave like this, but I think it's pretty disgusting that they have put out all of these lies around small business. They're trying to say, oh, small businesses are going to be affected by this and somehow they're after, you know, unions never unionising small business in our whole existence that they're somehow going to be roped into multi-employer bargaining. And even though the law carves that out for now every business with less than 20 employees, they've still continued to say it. Do you know why they have? Because they want to talk about small business because people like small businesses and they want big business basically hiding behind them. They just push them forward and say this is what it's about when it's not. And I reckon it's pretty disgusting because – Small business owners have uh, been through a lot over the last couple of years. They don't need this anxiety. They don't need this scare campaign. But unfortunately, big business in this country will use whatever they can as like a human shield to try and protect themselves from this law. Because you have to be clear about this. The Fair Work Commission still has to grant leave, in a sense, for people to enter this multi-employer bargaining process. So it's not a fait complete the way that the bosses are actually trying to paint it. Oh, look. First of all, as I said, employers where there's less than 20, they're excluded and the unions don't like this. We think every worker should have a right to have this option. Second of all, then workers have got to go to the Fair Work Commission and and argue that they should be able to band together and bargain across employers. They've got to meet a public interest test. They've got to meet all of these other tests and hurdles at the Fair Work Commission. We've got to go argue all of that. Then even if you win all of that, then there's got to be votes at every employer and 50% of people have got to support it. So there will be no multi-employer bargaining if a majority of workers don't want it and only after unions have managed to navigate all of these hurdles. So all of these carry-on by employers are complete beat up, complete beat up. You know, all we want is the ability for people to band together and get pay rises. And obviously, this will be union members. This will be happening with union members and places where people have joined the union and and their employers haven't behaved reasonably. Sally, what does multi-employer bargaining mean for the back pocket of workers? How will this improve their ability to get a decent wage rise? Look, first of all, there's still going to be enterprise bargaining. So that's you know what we've had for a long period of time, which is meant to be like one bargain at one company. But if you're Qantas, it might be like 20 bargains at one company. You know, even enterprise bargaining employers have been gaming it, but that's still going to be around and, and most big employers are going to continue to do um, enterprise bargaining. But what will happen is that there'll be much more incentives now for employers to do that. So I'd expect that should these laws go through, um, pretty much people that have enterprise bargaining, their employers are going to want to continue it. So um, that'll be good because uh, that's uh, everyone on on bargains get gets better pay than those who aren't. Now, for those people who've missed out, are usually people that uh, don't work for those big companies and they'll have a new option. So workers will have a new option if they wanted to across, um, you know, uh, workplaces or employers that are, that are similar to be able to, to bargain together. And honestly, that just makes sense for a whole lot of people. Um, small workplaces, places that are funded by the government, uh, places that, you know, it's just um, – pretty tough to just do it workplace by workplace. That's going to basically mean that you're going to be able to um, band together and bargain for, you know, one agreement that that affects multiple employers. 
And I think, you know, hopefully employers in our country wake up and, and realise that this is actually good for them too. Uh, like in Europe, it's a pretty normal thing to have multi-employer bargaining. What it does is it stops a race to the bottom. You know, we agree on wages and then companies can compete on the things that really matter, like innovating, like skills, like customer service, like the quality of their product. That's the thing, isn't it? It is the, the circuit breaker that stops what has been over a decade of a race to the bottom to drive wages down that, you know, provide the profits or the, you know, the share price rises that uh, big CEOs have been taking bonus off. It's trying to put a full stop to that being the dynamic that underpins the economy. Yeah, that's right. What's been happening is that where workers have been able to bargain something a bit better, what employers have done, they've either a new employer has come along and undercut them. So a good employer gets undercut by a one that won't bargain. And so it just puts pressure on everyone else. Of course, you go downwards or they outsource to labour hire companies as a way of getting out of those agreements and they just pay people less too. So there's been a whole either a gaming of the system or it's just been very, very hard uh, to do enterprise bargaining because employers are worried that uh, all their competitors will, you know, just undercut them. So this actually provides an opportunity to stop that. And you're exactly right. For the last 10 years, it's been one-way traffic and that's been down and um, we want to turn that around. And just to finish, this, the secure jobs element of this is very important and something that you and I are both quite passionate about. How do we stop the drift or the drive towards insecure work, labour hire work and you know work environments that deny people basic uh, workplace entitlements and rights, which has been you know, the modus operandi of lots of companies for a long time now? Yeah, so the government's only just making a start on this. So some of the listeners will remember during the election, they've had had a whole suite of announcements in terms of job security. So this bill starts it. So it puts limits on fixed-term contracts. So some employers have just been giving people short fixed-term contracts and they just renew them um, year after year or sometimes, you know, six months after six months. Obviously, you can't plan ahead if that's the case and it's an ongoing job. There's other important things that they've announced but aren't in this bill and are going to be in another bill next year, and that's got to do with casuals, stopping employers calling permanent jobs casual jobs. It's got to do with same job, same pay, which is where labour hire has been used to, you know, have people doing the same job, you know, being paid differently. It's got to do with giving gig economy workers rights and stopping, you know, dodgy contracting. So, you know, those are all sort of holes or loopholes in our in our system that employers have been using to turn permanent jobs into insecure jobs, and we're going to close all those loopholes. Sally, this is just uh, one element of a whole raft of things that needs to change in order to really improve the lot for workers in the Australian economy. What's next on, on your horizon and the movement's horizon as we uh, head into 2023? First things first, we've got to see this, this law through and Oh, us in the trade union movement never give up until it's over. So, you know, for as long as it takes, you know, we'll be making sure that happens. Then secondly, as I mentioned, there's more work to be done. There's more work to be done on job security. It's also more work to be done on wage theft. So that's the other big area or the other loopholes that need to be closed. It's got to be much easier for workers to be able to stop employers stealing their wages. And so that's what we aim to do early in 2023. Great to have you on the podcast again. Thanks a lot, Sally. No worries, Francis. See you and Happy New Year. And to you too. The Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, selling McManus there. It's on the job, the podcast, all about making your working life better. In a moment, can you imagine if workers decided that they were just going to shut down Australia's ports? 
Imagine the furor, the anger, the white-hot rage that would erupt in Australia's media if that was the case. What would happen, though, if a business decided to do it? If a big boss went, you know what, we're going to lock our workers out, the ports can shut down, we don't care. Well, that's what one company tried to do recently, and we'll tell you that story in a moment. On the job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Now, just recently, there's been a dispute on Australia's wharves in the maritime sector. Danish company Switzer, which basically runs the tugboats here in Australia, after a couple of years of ongoing and frustrating negotiations with the Maritime Union of Australia, decided, you know what, we're sick of this negotiating stuff. We're just going to lock out. We're going to lock out all the workers. And Australia, you know how you rely as an island nation on all that maritime traffic? Tough luck. We don't care. Imagine if workers did that. You can just imagine the headlines, can't you? Well, there were crickets when Schwitzer tried it. No one seemed to care. But the Fair Work Commission stepped in and said, no, that is not going to happen. At some stage, you're going to have to get back to bargaining. That dispute is ongoing. But Jamie Newlands, who's the Assistant Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, joined me last week to have a conversation about this, about the dispute and why uh, maritime workers are so enraged and remain steadfast in their opposition to Fitz's position and why it's important that they stay the course. Let's hear from Jamie. Jamie, welcome to On The Job. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Give us a bit of background to this ongoing dispute the MUA has been having with Switzer and where it's at as we stand at the moment. Okay, well, we've been bargaining for almost four years and basically the MUA and the other unions uh, were at a point leading into COVID. We almost had agreement and we decided to adjourn all bargaining while the company dealt with the COVID protocols in each different state and it was a good time for the union to do the same thing and when we finally came back to the table six or seven months later after you know putting the pressure on Switzer to do that they came back with 30 claims that we called the dirty 30 that sought to strip all our conditions basically we might as well have gone back to the award and we spent the next two and a half years arguing against uh, those particular changes that they wanted. We took limited industrial action, uh, bits and pieces here and there, and every one of those pieces of action were designed to bring the company back to the table again uh, because they refused to bargain when we were uh, taking industrial action. And then uh, they made application to terminate the agreement, similar to Qantas uh, and many others uh, of recent times. And that believe it or not, is still afoot and scheduled for the first hearing date on the 8th of December, even though, you know, uh, the the new legislation has been put to Parliament and we seem to have support, when I say we, the Labor government have support from David Pocock to introduce that new law, which will eliminate the opportunity for Switzer and other employers to terminate agreements. And at the same time, they're threatening to lock out nearly 600 employees and union members from their jobs while this goes on, which is a hyper-aggressive move, uh, which not only disadvantages the workers, obviously, but also it basically puts a gun to the head of the Australian government and the Australian community saying, we're not going to let these docks operate unless we get our way. Yeah, it's quite amazing that 
they took this quite militant action. You know, often uh, unions are accused of being militant, but we never look at what happens when an employer does the same thing. And for Spitzer to do that, they would have shut down every major port in Australia, particularly the city ports that, you know, bring in all the containerised goods in particular, goods and services for, you know, shops, Christmas is coming up, et cetera. But ultimately, you know, other things, fuel supplies, we already have a, a fuel security problem in, in this country and they were providing no relief at all, whereas when we would take action, uh, we always exempted things like cruise ships, animal livestock, fuel to some extent, depending on where it was, emergencies. So things like the Portland Bay, which uh, our members were involved in saving that ship off of Sydney just a few short months ago. We exempted those things and would turn to and go and rescue stricken vessels if required. And Switzer indicated to the country and the world they weren't prepared to do that. Um, they were locking down everything uh, in a bold move to basically crack down on its own workforce. And this is a company that's turning over a huge profit as well. It's not like this is a company that's on its knees. This company is owned by Maersk, the second biggest shipping company in the world. They're a global logistics giant. They turned over in the vicinity, Switzer, in the vicinity of $335 million last year. Look, they're doing okay and their parent company is doing even better on the back of the global pandemic. You know, in some instances, Maersk increased freight rates tenfold. That's the, you know, price gouging that occurred. And in Australia, those big shipping lines are exempt from the Competition and Consumer Commission arrangements uh, and can behave in cartel behaviour. And it appears that's what they're doing to the Australian public and Spitzer locking out its workforce was another ransom note to Australia saying pay up or we're shutting you down. So there's a couple of things that come out of this. Firstly, what's the situation with your members at the moment and workers and how are they dealing with this situation? So through the lockout, in an interesting move, the Fair Work Commission, which I I think is unprecedented, of their own motion came out and called the parties together to prevent this lockout and get the company back to work and ensure that there wasn't a threat to the Australian economy. And basically, the commission came back and said, we we need to go back and have a full bench decision. And all parties were heard and interested parties. So that included the federal government, uh, obviously the unions, obviously Switzer, but also the port authorities that Switzer operates in. And most of those parties were heard. But importantly, our argument was that the action shouldn't be terminated in whole, meaning we wouldn't be able to take protective industrial action either, but it should be suspended, including the lockout for a period of time while we go back to the table and bargain. Spitzer obviously rejected this notion. By their own admission, they essentially said they agree that the termination or the lockout shouldn't go ahead, but the action should be terminated. So they were holding the government to ransom, the country to ransom, and they wanted to win their own ransomware, basically. If you consider this were like a cyber attack, they were hacking the uh, Australian public's information and they wanted the ransom of saying, right, we're terminating everything so that we can get our way. Thankfully, the Fair Work Commission came through and indicated they would suspend uh, the action for a period of six months 
they said that the Fair Work Commission in its current mode has the ability to be able to deal with these disputes and allow time for that to occur. I might say, Francis, that the Fair Work Commission were particularly scathing of Switzer's actions and how they went about this. They, they could see it and put in their reasons that it was designed to try and break the nexus of bargaining and prevent them from continuing to bargain. And interestingly, they were quite scathing reasons against Switzer. Well, it's crazy when you think that we are literally in the week when there's this new legislation that's set to pass the federal parliament, which is designed to actually improve workers' ability to bargain for genuine outcomes that this international company is so tinier that it thinks that this is the way to go forward. It's just, it's kind of mind-blowing, but it does also point to the fact that we still don't have a strategic maritime domestic fleet, which might allow us to have some further control over our own destiny here. I know that's a wider issue, but this is part of that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And uh, my union, uh, the Maritime Union, have been arguing for uh, quite some time for a better coastal shipping regime and and the Albanese government has committed to a strategic fleet and there is currently a strategic fleet task force that has been convened with a few sort of experts and they're tasked with delivering an interim report prior to Christmas uh, for the Minister for Transport Catherine King. That's a welcome process for us. Uh, obviously, there's a lot in this, and the policy neglect in Australian shipping, Australia being an island nation that relies on shipping for pretty much 95% of all imports and exports, neglecting its own shipping task and capacity is, uh, is quite astounding. So, you know, we're quite hopeful that there'll be a return to the halcyon days of Australian shipping where we do protect our sovereign supply chains, protect you know sovereign risk and ensure Australia's commodities, exports and imports are guaranteed and supply chains are secure. It's important work and we've got a lot of cashing up to do, but I'm glad you're doing it, Jamie. We'll keep an eye across this dispute. It's a big one and uh, we wish you all the best with it and uh, good luck. Thanks, Francis. This is On The Job with Francis Leach. That's it for another edition of On The Job. Thank you for listening. If you like the pod, if you've come this far, please give us a review, uh, give some stars, let your friends and family know about it. It helps us beat the algorithm gods and gets us you know, into some more ears to share the information and inspiration. Of course, join your union and become an active member of your union. AustralianUnions.org.au is where you go to do that. My name is Francis Leach and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.